You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. That's right. Bear down, Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you. And we have reached 2024. It is week 18. We've got one week to go in what was dubbed a crucial season for the Chicago Bears in terms of determining the future of the franchise, and it's week 18, people, and we still don't know. That's how crazy this season has been. So peel back the curtain here a little bit. No guests this week. Lawrence Holmes of The Score should be on the show next week. Had a little bit of a scheduling issue. Couldn't quite get Lawrence on in time to get the podcast out. Obviously, this podcast getting out a scotch late as it is, so wanted to just Riff with no guests, since there is plenty to talk about, I will be able to babble long enough where you will get nice and annoyed hearing my voice by the end of this podcast. So we'll skip the guests this week, but when then, of course, we will be on next week after we find out the fate of Matt Eberflus, potentially Luke Getze. We won't know about Justin Fields. I'm confident about that. That's going to be several weeks, if not months until we know what's going on with him. But let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about this Falcons game briefly because I know Bears fans are excited and that that was that was a phenomenal performance by the entire team. The defense played well again. The offensive line was fantastic. DJ Moore does his thing and of course Justin Fields has arguably the best game of his career. Fields looked absolutely sharp. Of course, the Houdini Act play, where I would say you could make the argument that he is literally the only player in the NFL that can do that. Like I don't even know if Lamar Jackson has that kind of ability. And that, of course, is what gets you excited about Justin Fields. So this game was a perfect game against, uh, you know, they're not a good football team. The Atlanta Falcons are not going to be confused with the Philadelphia Eagles. This is a team that lost to the Carolina Panthers. So let's not pretend the Atlanta Falcons are a fantastic team. But what they are is they're inconsistent. And, you know, when you're inconsistent, you're going to win some games. And, and they have the same record as the Chicago Bears right now. So, you know, kind of an equal team. I would say that the, the Bears and the Falcons, you know, obviously different strengths in other areas. If the Falcons had a quarterback, like at any kind of quarterback, a top 20 quarterback, let's just say it since we like to talk about this team a lot. If they had Justin Fields 
over what they're putting out at quarterback. They would definitely have two or three more wins. So the Falcons roster, definitely a better roster than the Bears, and the Bears roster is up and coming and getting better every week. But the Falcons just don't have quarterback play. You know, Taylor Heineke is not going to be leading anyone to a Super Bowl anytime soon. So the Falcons do have some pieces, but overall, because they don't have the quarterback, they just don't have what it takes to win enough football games. I know they are technically still alive in the playoffs, but it's going to take a miracle for them as well. But again, you got to play who's who's in front of you. And that matters for the amount of wins you have on the season. But, of course, you do need to look at who you beat when you look at the entire resume of, of, of the season. So I still stick with what I said on my last podcast, which, of course, was after the Cleveland game, these Cardinals and Falcons game. And I think I said it going into these games that I expected the Bears to win. I knew they were going to win at least one of them. The Cardinals game was a lock to me. The Falcons game, especially being at home, was another one they were probably going to win. So it, it most likely that was going to be the case with these two two games. And the evaluation for me in these games, to me, you need to weight the games, the importance of the games. And the both these games combined doesn't have the importance of the Cleveland game. I'll say something unpopular. All three of these games, Packers game included, for the evaluation process to me, is not as important as that Cleveland game because that Cleveland game and that performance and what happened in that game ended the Bears' season. Now, I know they were technically still alive for the playoffs after that, but it was going to take a miracle and Bears fans to be, oh, they're still alive, they're still alive, they're still alive. They're not alive. They, they needed a tie on Sunday night football, which, of course, did not happen. The Chicago Bears were never going to make the playoffs after they lost to the Cleveland Browns. Anyone who was telling you otherwise was just hoping for a miracle. So that ended the season. So the football became a lot less important on the other side of that game. I'm not saying you can't evaluate. You know, obviously, there are plenty of positions you can evaluate. But when I'm trying to evaluate the play of the quarterback, that is where, to me, you really have to look at the opponents, the importance of the games, you know, how the performance was when the game was on the line, fourth quarter, all, all those types of things. And to me, the, the Bears are, are certainly headed in the same direction. Now, I'm going to have something coming out on Windy City Gridiron later this week. I am in the process of polling local and national media about the futures of Matt Eberflus, Luke Getze, and Justin Fields. And not what the media members would do, but what they expect the Chicago Bears to do this year. Getting some interesting numbers on that. Not going to share those because it is still in progress. Like I said, that's going to be out end of the week. I want that out before the Packers game. And, and the choices I've given everyone on this is, you know, is this person coming back? Is this person gone? Or is the decision still up in the air and the Packers outcome is going to make a difference into what they would do? And, and the, the answers are still coming in. And I, I'm, I'm glad I'm getting a lot of feedback on that one. That's going to that's gonna be interesting. And I think it will, you know, in terms of having, you know, experts in terms of weighing in on what, the, what they think the Bears are going to do kind of helps put everything in perspective about what's going on with this team. So before we kind of talk big picture with this football team, we're going to talk about Matt Eberflus. We're going to talk about Luke Getze, and we, of course, are going to be talking about Justin Fields. Let's kick it off 
with the final edition of First Pick Survivor. We have been talking about it every week since probably about week four. And that whole point of this, this exercise, what when you reach four wins, you are eliminated from First Pick Survivor because almost every year, the team with the first pick has three wins or less. And after this past week, and they didn't even need it, but they got it anyway, the Arizona Cardinals win their fourth game of the year against the Philadelphia Eagles of all teams, which puts 31 teams with four wins and one team. That team, of course, the Carolina Panthers with just two wins and the Chicago Bears have clinched the number one pick in the 2024 NFL Draft. This is absolutely mind-boggling that this happened. And certainly, luck comes into play. But at the same time, you have to give Ryan Poles credit for targeting the right team to do this. And I know he had the, the, the double trade down with, with the Texans potentially, and, and there were other things on the table. But he decided to pull the trigger with the Carolina Panthers, and you get credit for picking the right team that without DJ Moore, with a rookie quarterback and what they were building, Ryan Poles looked at that team and said, I don't know how much this team is going to win in 2023. I think they are positioned to give us a very good pick. Was Ryan Poles expecting number one? I'm sure he was not expecting number one. But I'm guessing Ryan Poles was expecting top 10, and if things go right, top five. That's how things go. There were other offers on the table for Khalil Mack way back in 2018. The Raiders, in part, chose the Bears because they expected the Bears to stink. Mitch Trubisky in his second year, you know, a lot of questions were going into that team, but everything hummed in 2018 for the Bears in large part because of what Khalil Mack did to elevate that defense. Bears win 12 games and it blew up in John Gruden's face. He did not get the draft choice he was expecting to get for Khalil Mack. I know he got a better one the following year, but it did not work out. You know, now again, Raiders fans probably say, well, it didn't work out for the Bears. What did Khalil Mack ever do for them in terms of wins and losses? Now, he did have a huge part. They would not have been who they were in 2018 without Khalil Mack. Obviously, I think the Bears won that trade, but no one was a clear winner. It didn't quite work out for either side. But again, Ryan Poles gets credit. Where John Gruden doesn't get credit for the Bears not being as bad as he expected, Ryan Poles gets credit for the Carolina Panthers being bad and being literally the worst team in the NFL. So the Chicago Bears, with some help from Lovey Smith, and of course, some help from the Carolina Panthers. And thank you, David Tepper. Let's just applaud that right now. Thank you, David Tepper, for running an absolute dumpster fire of an organization and opening it up for the Chicago Bears to get that number one pick. So first pick survivor. We have been hoping for this for three months, and it has come through the Carolina Panthers with the number one pick. And now, and now Ryan Poles is in a position to turn this trade into, and when I say this, I am not speaking hyperbolic. 
Ryan Poles has a chance to turn this into the greatest trade in NFL history. Yeah, I am not being hyperbolic. It is that significant because whatever the choice ends up being, whatever the choice ends up being, here's what he's looking at. He's, of course, looking at Darnell Wright and Tyreek Stevenson and DJ Moore. Those three already. Tyreek Stevenson looks like he is going to be, at a minimum, a solid starting cornerback. Darnell Wright, at a minimum, a solid starting right tackle, and we all know how good DJ Moore is. That's a minimum. If everything else he does busts, and it won't, if everything else he does busts, he got those three guys for Bryce Young. And unless Bryce Young, I know Bryce Young's playing a little better lately, unless Bryce Young wildly turns this around, that's already looking like a huge W for Ryan Poles. But on top of that, he has, of course, this number one pick, which he can take Caleb Williams or Drake May. If he does this and takes a quarterback that ends up being the best quarterback in the last 70 years, better than Justin Fields, Jake Cutler, Jim McMahon, if they end up that you could have that for the first time since Sid Luckman, a every year starter for a decade, 15 years, he could have that if he selects the right player. And of course, he still has a fourth round pick this year from the Eagles, which gets put into that collective trade because they traded down from nine to 10 in the Darnell Wright trade, the Jalen Carter move. So that also will be included depending on who he takes this year. And of course, the second round pick next year, which the Carolina Panthers are so bad, that's going to be a top 40 pick. You got to figure the Panthers aren't going to be the worst team in the league next year, but that's probably going to be a top 10 pick, which means that's going to be, you know, no worse than 40-41 in the draft next year. That's going to be another fabulous pick for Ryan Poles. If he decides to trade the pick and keep Justin Fields, then all this that he gets for the number one pick this year, throw that on top of the pile from last year. And then you're talking about multiple first round picks, maybe another player, just obscene the haul that he's going to end up getting for this pick. And either way, it's going to be a massive W, this trade. I mean, you just unbelievable what he has pulled off here. And the consensus greatest trade in NFL history is always the Herschel Walker trade because of the amount the Vikings gave up to get Herschel Walker. And of course, so many of those players panned out for the Dallas Cowboys. It built the foundation of those Super Bowl teams for Jimmy Johnson. Now, we can't determine how good this trade is, so we're going to wait a couple more years, see who the see who ends up being drafted and who is a part of this trade in the end, how good these players are. And we're going to put it up against this Herschel Walker trade. And I think there is a very good chance that Ryan Pohl's trade will stand alone as the greatest trade in NFL history. It's that damn good. And it's just awesome. Awesome that he managed to pull that off. Now, moving on, let's talk about the three big names here. And of course, that's Matt Eberflus, Luke Getze, and Justin Fields. And they really are all tied together in a major way. Let me start off with what I would do first. Personally, for me, I would get rid of everybody. And that doesn't mean that everybody is worthy of being getting, of gotten rid of. This is what this team, where this team is based on having that number one pick. That number one pick changes everything. And I just don't think people quite grasp 
the significance of this pick and how much of an impact it's going to have on decision-making. If they Bears had the 8th and the 10th pick, this is a totally different thing. You'd be happy with Matt Eberflus. You'd be happy with Justin Fields. Maybe you keep Luke Getze for consistency. Maybe you move on from Luke Getze. But the idea of running it all back is a lot more palatable if you have the 8th and 10th pick. But you don't. You have the number one pick. And when you have the number one pick, and you have the opportunity, because Justin Fields has not made a slam dunk argument that he is the quarterback of the future. And I get you love the results from the Falcons game. And I get the Broncos game. And I, I get that he has played better the last few weeks before this. And of course, the, the Washington game. I, I know all that. I know Justin Fields is a capable quarterback. But when you have the opportunity, and we're going to get into this when we talk about Justin Fields, you know, when I kind of get into all three of these individuals, to get a new quarterback, have this setup where you can go out, you can talk to Jim Harbaugh, Ben Johnson, whoever you have deemed the best offensive minds available this year, and say, here you go. What do you want to do? Do you want Caleb Williams? Do you want Drake May? Let's build you an offense and you get a rookie quarterback for the rookie contract with DJ Moore and Khalil Herbert and an up-and-coming offensive line and Cole Komet's lockdown, and you have all these pieces. Roshan Johnson, you've got the pieces on offense to drop a rookie in and have him have success immediately. And that's a unique situation that the Chicago Bears have. And that's why this number one pick matters so much, because you can completely change. Like, I don't trust Luke Getze with a rookie quarterback, so I want Luke Getze out. I want an offensive-minded head coach with my rookie quarterback so my offensive coordinators, if my rookie quarterback turns into a stud, then my offensive coordinators are going to keep getting snake, getting you know head coaching jobs every two years because I'm going to have a really good offense with a really good quarterback, and the offensive coordinators are going to keep getting head coaching jobs. So I want an offensive-minded head coach to stabilize the quarterback and the offense that he needs to know, and those offensive coordinators can keep getting head coaching jobs, but then the head coach is still there to stabilize it, and he can keep promoting his quarterback coaches or whatever he's going to do to his new offensive coordinator position. But stabilize the offense, to me, that's why I would get rid of Matt Eberflus. Nothing about the results from this year, although I'll talk about some things with Matt Eberflus in a minute, but stabilize the offense offensive minded head coach with the quarterback and a new offensive coordinator that the offensive head coach brings in line everything up we have talked about it all season the opportunity to line everything up that's why i would do this and i have brought up the 2014-15 cubs where they got rid of rick renneria and they brought in joe mann and that's what i equate matt eberflus to Matt Eberflus is a good coach, but he is not good enough. He is a victim of circumstance, as is Justin Fields, because you have this number one pick, and you have two legitimate quarterback prospects at the top of the draft. Better prospects than we have seen in the last couple of years, as good a prospects as Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, you know, all, all the names of those top number one picks that people were really excited about picking. As good as those. And that is why I would start over, bring in a good offensive head coach, let him bring in a new coaching staff, offensive coordinator, all that, 
and they select the rookie quarterback. That's what I would do. Now, what do I think the Chicago Bears are going to do? I think Matt Eberflus is keeping his job. I think Ryan Poles is a big believer in Matt Eberflus. They have, he has built a ton of momentum here over the last several weeks. And the, the bottom line is, is it's a results-based business, and this team is going to go from 3-14 and 14 when they were purposely bad to 7-10. and 10. And, and if you go way back to what I was talking about in September and maybe early October, I was talking about how wins were going to impact this decision. And that may seem dumb, but... We saw this when everyone wanted Eberflus gone, you know, by mid-November. It was if this team gets hot late and there were bad football teams on the schedule to end the season. If they got hot late, Matt Eberflus could save his job. And that is exactly what's happened. Now, when I look at this, I go, well, Matt Eberflus doesn't get to not call defensive plays moving forward. If I'm Ryan Poles and Kevin Warren and making this decision. Matt Eberflus was brought in. He said he was going to be the CEO-style head coach. Offensive coordinator was going to call offensive plays. Defensive coordinator was going to call defensive plays. This is the way Matt Eberflus wanted it. That was the way the Bears organization wanted it. And it didn't work. None of us like Luke Getze and Alan Williams, forget the off-the-field stuff, was a debacle. Those defenses were not interesting last year. We said it was because he didn't have talent. Then when we did put talent on the field for him, they were still awful the first couple weeks. Matt Eberflus comes in. He gets his footing. The play calls get better. The defense get better. Add Montez Sweat. Defense becomes great. So to me, Matt Eberflus, if you're back, sorry, you're calling defensive plays. Now, you can have a defensive coordinator that can help you, you know, like Phil Snow. Phil Snow has been doing, since Phil Snow came aboard, advanced scouting and, and a lot of the things he's, he's done helps with the game plan every week. That's helped significantly. Does Phil Snow want the defensive coordinator job? You could just do that, and then Phil Snow is basically in the same role, except he's also upstairs on game days, you know, look, looking looking with the bird's eye view. That's fine if that's what Matt Eberflus wants to do defensively. You want to maintain continuity on defense because everything's going the right direction? Okay, that's fine. But what I don't want to see is Matt Eberflus going back to being CEO and not calling defensive plays. Because that didn't work for 19 games. So I want Matt Eberflus calling defensive plays. If I'm Ryan Poles, I say, look, if you're you're staying here, you're calling defensive plays. Add it to the plate permanently moving forward. Now, maybe the defensive coordinator, maybe it's not Phil Snow, maybe it's a young up-and-coming guy, and after a year, you know, year and a half, you know, Eberflus goes to Poles and says, I want this guy to start calling plays. He's really good. He knows what he's doing. Okay, then we can have that conversation. But coming out of the gate in 2024, Matt Eberflus, you are calling defensive plays. It is part of your job. That's number one. Now, beyond that with Matt Eberflus, he certainly, the players like him. They gravitate towards him. I really didn't understand it in the middle of the season where they had his back, and I'm watching this guy at the podium going, well, what do they see in this guy? But for whatever reason, it was working for the Bears players. You know, and, and I know Adam Johns and other guys talked to the players in the locker room and talked to them when it wasn't, you know, Jervon Dexter, what do you think? No, more casual conversation, kind of off the record kind of stuff. And they said, no, we have his back. We like him. He keeps us accountable, but he supports us. And that was all surprising to me because I see a guy who blames the players and doesn't take a lot of accountability in press conferences. And if he's doing it privately, I, I don't care. I want him to take that accountability publicly. So for me, 
it never really meshed, but he was doing something right. So he gets credit for that. So defensively, Matt Eberflus has done a really good job. Keeping the locker room and, and supporting the locker room, Matt Eberflus has done a good job. Where Matt Eberflus's in-game decisions are bad. They are not good. And that is where Matt Eberflus is consistently outcoached on Sundays. He does not give the Bears an edge in that department. I don't like his clock management. We have seen some odd decisions at the end of halves where, you know, the kicking it against the Falcons, that was a stupid decision. That that kick had no chance and could have totally turned the game, but luckily the, the Bears made a play and, and, and didn't get torched by it. But then, you know, also clock management, I remember against the Broncos at the end of the half, that was terrible. We haven't seen Matt Eberflus have to manage the clock too much in close games at the end, but again, clock management hasn't looked good. The decision-making process, I have talked about it. The decisions he makes at the end of the games. Justin Jones against Cleveland. We've talked about that. Not kicking the field goal against the Broncos. We have talked about that. You know, not going for it this against Detroit. Again, it didn't matter. But, you know, going from, what was it, up 12 to up 15. Didn't make a lot of sense to me. Go for that first down and get first and goal and, and, and win that game. Again, Matt Eberflus's in-game decisions are not solid, and he is going to regularly be outcoached in that department. That's going to hurt them moving forward, I suspect. But, you know, he has blown three games this year and two last year. He has blown five double-digit fourth-quarter leads. That is hard to do in two years, but Matt Eberflus has managed to do it. But it appears the Bears are going to look past that, look at the big picture of what Eberflus has done with the entire roster and the development and then winning games late and saying that's enough. Okay, fine. You've, you've, you know, I'm not going to scream and yell about it, but here's where it's a problem. If they move on from Justin Fields, and we're going to get to Fields in a minute, you are not lining it up. We just talked about it five, 10 minutes ago. Lining it up. You have an opportunity to line it all up. So now you are going to give Matt Eberflus a rookie quarterback. Now let's look at that history. Let's wind the clock back to 2003. Dick Geron, here is your rookie quarterback, Rex Grossman. What happens? Dick Geron gets fired. Lovey Smith, hey, congratulations on the new head coaching job. Here's your quarterback, Rex Grossman. He's in year two, so figure it out with Rex Grossman. Didn't work out. Fast forward. 2017, John Fox didn't even know they were drafting Mitch Trubisky. Good job there, Ryan Pace. Hide the decision from your head coach the entire offseason. That's not a dysfunctional franchise at all. But John Fox gets Mitch Trubisky. John Fox gets fired at the end of 2017. 2018, Matt Nagy, would you have drafted Mitch Trubisky? No, we find out behind the scenes that you wouldn't have and you just thought he was okay and you would have taken Mahomes and... Oh, okay. But, well, can you win with Mitch? Well, you're certainly going to try. Did that work out? No, it didn't work out. But, okay, Matt Nagy, we're going to give you an opportunity to get a quarterback. Ryan Payson, you go out and get Justin Fields. And at the end of that year, oh, it didn't work out. We're going to fire you, Matt Nagy. And, hey, Matt Aberflus, Ryan Poles, here's a quarterback that you guys didn't draft, but now you need to make it work. Now, what are we doing? We are repeating the same thing if you do not learn from history. You are doomed to repeat it. 
Grossman, Fields were all the exact same way. And now, Matt, if they have a rookie quarterback next year, Matt Eberflus will be the coach. And there will be a chance that in a year or two, Matt Eberflus will be fired. And that rookie quarterback is going to have to have a new offense, a new offensive coordinator, and you will have the chance to ruin him. So that is the issue where if you brought in an offensive head coach with the rookie quarterback, they could grow together. That's the idea. But the Bears aren't going to do that again. So that's the problem there. Now, moving on from Matt Eberflus, we've got Luke Getze. There is not a lot to be said about positives that Luke Getze has made. Now, I think Luke Getze's offense is probably better than it looks on Sundays. And the reason I would say it is probably better is because that Justin Fields struggles playing in structure and playing on time. And of course, making throws with anticipation, getting through his reads. If you watch the All-22, and I'm sure a lot of you do and check out the All-22s that some of the other Bears content creators do, you will see receivers regularly open. Now, that's not to say that Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow don't miss open receivers sometimes. Of course they do. Everyone does. But Fields is doing it at a much higher rate. And that is consistently happening. And that, of course, is going to hurt Luke Getze's offense. So Fields doesn't play on time, then he runs around, creates time, buys three or four seconds, then maybe chucks the ball down the field, gains a 25-yard gain, and it's all Justin Fields, but he also could have had the 25 yards if he played within the body of Luke Getze's offense. Now, Luke Getze's offense doesn't really fit with Justin Fields. It's been better lately. They've been changing things up a little bit. Of course, the offense Luke Getze tried to run the first few weeks was a disaster with Justin Fields. We know that. Things got a little better when things got changed up a little bit. But you still saw Getze trying to get back to the same things he wanted to do in his offense and not with Justin Fields. And, and we saw it. Matt Nagy was the same way. He, he wanted to do things for his offense, not for Mitch Trubisky. A lot of these coaches feel this way. My system works. I want the player to play my system. Well, it'd be a lot smarter if you had your player playing a system that sit, fits his needs. That's never quite been it with Luke Getze. And again, I think the offense is probably a little better than it looks on paper. And I think Luke Getze, you know, 37 points against the Falcons. You know, he's got, you know, 28, 27 points. They're scoring more points lately. But at the same time, here's kind of the bottom line with Luke Getze. He's lost the fan base. You try and run it back with Luke Getze, you better be running it back with Matt Eberflus and Justin Fields. I mean, could you imagine if they run it back with Luke Getze and trade Justin Fields? You're going to get rid of Fields and keep Getze? The fan base would revolt. The pitchforks would be at Hallis Hall. You can't, in essence, you'd be blaming Justin Fields for all the offensive problems. The fan base isn't going to buy that. So Luke Getze, because he's lost the fan base, and not that you can ordinarily make decisions based on what the fans want, but Getze has become so toxic with the fan base. I just don't think you can run it back. Now, maybe they would try and run it back with all of them, but I think Luke Getze is going to be out as offensive coordinator. And I think Luke Getze, as we get to the final person here in this conversation, is going to be gone. Luke Getze is going to be gone, and this new offensive coordinator will be working with a rookie quarterback. I do think. That is going to be the final decision from Ryan Poles. 
I think this is not a decision we are going to hear next week when Ryan Poles addresses the media on Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, whatever it ends up being, where Ryan Poles talks to the media about the season. He is going to say that Justin Fields made a lot of progress. They love Justin Fields. They're excited about what Justin Fields is going to be in the future, but that the evaluations are ongoing. Nothing has been completed. In fact, when Ryan Poles speaks, I don't think we're going to know about Luke Getze's future. I think that'll be announced after he speaks, so they don't have to address it until the combine when they speak again. So that'll be all strategic as to when certain things are announced, that people are are fired or whatever. But for Justin Fields, we're going to hear that it's an ongoing evaluation, that they're going to be spending the next couple months deciding what to do. They're going to weigh all their options. It's going to be very vanilla, very generic. We're not going to know anything from what Ryan Poles said. I think there's a chance, even if Ryan Poles says, Justin Fields is our quarterback, that he may not be the quarterback. Because we've heard that before. Mitch Trubisky is our quarterback. And if you remember me yelling and screaming that Mitch Trubisky was not going to be the Bears quarterback in 2020, even though Ryan Pace said he was, because of the fact that there was no one else on the roster at the time, they eventually trade for Nick Foles. Not, not that that was a good plan, but again, it, they were never going to fully commit to Mitch Trubisky as the starter. The Bears, even if they commit to Justin Fields, they can later say, oh, well, you know, we were blown away by this trade offer for Justin Fields, or we were blown away by Caleb Williams or Drake May. We decided we had to make the change. So whatever Paul says, unless he says we're trading Justin Fields, we've decided he's not the guy, which he's not going to say. That is the only thing we could you could say where your mouth would drop open and go, oh, okay. And I know Poles is pretty transparent, but that is something I do not expect to happen next week. But let me talk about why I think the Chicago Bears will be moving on from Justin Fields. And again, it comes back to that number one pick. If we were comparing Justin Fields to Bo Nix, we would be coming to a lot more different of an evaluation. But that number one pick is there, and Caleb Williams and Drake May are very high-level prospects. Some of you may not like them, and some of you may, oh, here we go again with Caleb Williams. Well, yeah, because he's right at the top of this draft, and he is there. And this is not a year ago where Justin Fields had only had two years and never really had a legitimate opportunity to grow. This was his year to grow. Has Justin Fields improved this year? He 100% has. You look at that eye test from this from last year to this year, and you can tell that Justin Fields is a better quarterback. But when you look at Justin Fields' body of work as a passer, you know, running hasn't been as dynamic this year, but that's okay. The running is still excellent. His escapability in the pocket is still excellent. Where is Justin Fields as a passer? Now, we can sit there and say he looks better throwing the football. Is he actually better or does he have more weapons that he can utilize that are actually getting open? We talked about it in 2022, how his receivers had the worst separation in the league. They had the least amount of, you know, open time to throw to them. All the, all the advanced numbers on the receivers in 2022 were horrible. He never could find anyone to throw the ball to. 2023, different. Darnell Mooney's had a bad year, but if you watch the All-22, he's still getting open sometimes. Now, lately, he's been dropping balls. It hasn't worked. Now, of course, he's hurt, but 
Darnell Mooney, despite having a bad year, still gets open. Cole Komet, having his best year as a pro, gets open. And of course, you cannot undersell how important DJ Moore is, who is basically always open. So I say, has Justin Fields improved as a passer, or does Justin Fields have better weapons around him? Because if you look at the stats, and I am not a box score scouter, but you do have to look at some stats to try and compare Justin Fields to the rest of the league. And when you compare him to the rest of the league, if you like the EPA per play plus the CPOE composite, that a lot of people, the advanced analytic guys, love that for quarterback play. When you look at Justin Fields for the full body of the season, he's 21st. That's really bad. Now, EPA per play is expected points added per play. Like, you know, Justin Fields runs for 35 yards. He's, you know, increasing the probability that the Bears are going to score points on that drive. So he is adding, right? He is adding to the expected points by his performance. Justin Fields takes a sack on second and four to make it third and 12, and then they end up punting. That's a negative play in terms of adding points. So that's what EPA per play is. And then, you know, completion percentage above expected is, are you making throws that the average quarterback can't make? Are you completing balls that the other ones can't? When you combine those two things, 21st overall, not very good. Now, you want to say, well, let's eliminate the first three games. They got out of the gate terrible. There were things going around. It wasn't all Justin Fields' fault. Okay, let's look at the body of work starting in week four with the Broncos game, the four-touchdown game. So we're, we're starting it right at the peak time for Justin Fields. Where does he rank for the rest of the year? 14th. Not that much better, right? Like, still not good enough when you look at him compared to the rest of the league. 14th isn't good enough. 14th is average. In fact, I kind of saw it. It was odd to me seeing some of the polls out there. It seems consistently that, you know, 70% of the fan base wants Justin Fields to return but only 10% of the fan base thinks Justin Fields is a top 10 quarterback. And like 30% of the fan, or 40% of the fan base thinks he's between like 16 and 20. So that means 10% of the fan base, if you do the math on all this and look at the Venn diagram, 10% of the fan base thinks Justin Fields is a below average quarterback, but they want to keep him. That doesn't make any sense to me. And to me, if you don't think Justin Fields is a top 10 quarterback, then you need to move on from Justin Fields. And that's where I am at a complete disagreement with a lot of this fan base. 70% of the fans want to keep Justin Fields. Well, okay, if you want to keep Justin Fields, that's fine. But 60% of you, because again, I saw a poll and 10% thought he was a top 10 quarterback. 60% of you think Justin Fields is not a top 10 quarterback, but you don't want to move on from Justin Fields. If he's not a top 10 quarterback, odds are Justin Fields is not a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. So you got to move on. It, it, it's pretty simple there. And, and it goes beyond the, you know, the, the EPA CPOE composite. It goes beyond those numbers. His completion percentage. I would have expected that completion percentage to jump a few percent this year because of the better weapons he has. It hasn't. It's basically the same. His yards per attempt. Forget passing yardage. Forget that. Yards per attempt has decreased this year. It's gone down. 
That's not good. He's below seven again. You want that yards per attempt to be above seven. It's not there. It was above seven last year, barely like 7.1. I was expecting it to move up to 7.3, 7.4. That's going to get him in the top 10. That's what I was expecting from Fields this year. That completion percentage jumping up to 64%, 65%. Not there. He's got one of the lowest completion percentages in the league. So when you look at all this, you look at the sack percentage. Sack percentage is still around 10%. That's still too high. It's better than it was, but he's still taking too many sacks. Those sacks lead the fumbles. The fumbles are down. The interceptions are down, but they're still he's still turning the ball over at a higher rate. Now, you sit there and go, well, these last four or five games, he hasn't been turning the ball over nearly as much. That is true. But how small of a sample size are we going to give Justin Fields? That's the issue. You keep shrinking the sample size down. Like Dan Orlovsky said, Justin Fields is a top 10 quarterback in the league since he's returned from injury. And if we want to look at the advanced analytics, you look at the EPA CPOE composite. He is, I think he was ninth, eighth or ninth in that since he's returned. Then you're starting in week 11 or whatever it is to the present. He is in the top 10, but so is Bryce Young. And so is Jake Browning and Jared Goff. These guys are all ahead of him in the CPOE composite because it's a small sample size. So you don't quite get exactly what you need from Justin Fields. His QBR is down. His passer rating isn't where it needs to be. When you look at all the numbers this year for Justin Fields, they haven't gotten any better. And again, like I said, eye test says he's better. I'm not denying that. And I think eye test is important, but the results are not showing up on paper and you need both. So while I like Justin Fields, he's got the moxie, he's got the locker room, he's got the fan base, he's electric. Overall, he is still leaving something to be desired. And when you have the number one pick and you have big time prospects like this, it changes the total picture to me. Again, eighth pick, comparing him to J.J. McCarthy, totally different conversation. We're talking about the number one pick in the draft. Now, on the other side of that, and the haul you can get. Now, to me, this haul thing is getting a little crazy because the one name that's attached to all these hauls is Marvin Harrison Jr. And if you're going from one to two or one to three, yes, you might be able to get an overpay from Washington or New England or whoever it's going to be to move up to number one. You might be able to do that. I'm not saying that's not possible, but you're hearing talking heads talking about you can get Marvin Harrison Jr., multiple first round picks, you know, in the future. And no, no, you can't. You cannot get that for dropping. You can get that if you trade with the Raiders. You want to trade from one to like 12 where the Raiders are going to be? Yeah, multiple first round picks, Max Crosby, second round picks, third round. All that's on the table if you want to drop that far. But you're going from one to two or one to three. You are not getting this monstrous haul. You get a second round pick, maybe two second round picks, maybe a future first for the overpay. Maybe, maybe you can do that, but it's not like a haul. Like if the Patriots come up from three to one and you want to take that pick and you want to draft Marvin Harrison, 
you are getting at best their first round pick next year. And maybe that's enough for you. But don't think you are getting a first round pick, a player like the DJ Moore trade. You're not getting that to drop a couple spots. You got to drop further down in the draft. So this Hall thing is getting a little crazy. Now you want to drop further down and talk about Malik Neighbors or talk about Roma Dunze in terms of the wide receiver you can add. Okay, but don't talk about it with Marvin Harrison. It's not the same thing. So yes, you can get a Hall. And I talked about it earlier in this podcast. You add that Hall to the original trade and that would be everything you got for Bryce Young. And it would be crazy. But can you build up a big enough roster that it can be one with Justin Fields? And two, you have a very small window to win with this roster because for Justin Fields, he needs to be paid in a couple of years. And his agent is not, oh, Justin Fields will take this team-friendly deal. No, he will not. He wants to be paid. He wants to be respected. Justin Fields is going to want to earn 45, 50 million, whatever he can get. And once you pay Justin Fields that, you're going to start bleeding off Tremaine Edmonds and Montez Sweat and these other players because you can't have this many high-priced players. That's the point. I've talked about this multiple times. You want to build the 49ers? Well, then go have a quarterback making a couple million a year like Brock Purdy. Caleb Williams is going to be making like 8 million a year. That's okay. It's not 45 million. So it's a totally different conversation when you add in the fact that you have to pay Justin Fields. Not enough people are talking about the salary of Justin Fields and what's coming. You keep hearing this, well, you don't have to pay him for a couple of years. No, you are Williams or Drake May away for a haul, keeping Justin Fields and just punting the quarterback choice down a year or two. That's not what you're doing here. Some people talking about trading the number one pick and not committing the fifth-year option to Justin Fields. Are you crazy? Are you absolutely crazy that you're not going to commit to Justin Fields? Well, then we can franchise tag him. Well, what are we talking about? If you're not sure Justin Fields is your guy, then move on from Justin Fields. If Justin Fields is your guy, then commit to him. You better pick up the fifth-year option. If you want to wait one more year before you talk about an extension, but you better pick up the fifth-year option, and then that extension money is going to come in and is going to impact everything else that the Chicago Bears can do. And I have talked about it. Some people think that the rookie contract is overrated in terms of building a roster. I don't think it is, but I do think it gets too much attention. But I do think it is important that your quarterback is always outperforming his contract. And it is a lot easier. Mitch Trubisky in 2018 outperformed his contract. And therefore the Chicago Bears were good. Mitch Trubisky did not outperform his contract the rest of those seasons. And therefore the Bears were mediocre. It's pretty straightforward. When you decide to pay a quarterback, Patrick Mahomes is still in his worst season ever is still going to have like 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. He is still outperforming his contract. That is the key. Daniel Jones has not outperformed his contract. The Giants are in the toilet. Kyler Murray has not outperformed his contract. The Cardinals are in the toilet. It's not to say Daniel Jones and Kyler Murray can't bounce back and outperform their contracts next season, 
I tend to doubt it, but it's possible. But when your quarterback doesn't outperform the contract, your roster falls apart. Plain and simple. So if you're going to pay Justin Fields $45, 50000000 million a year, he better be a top 10 quarterback, and he better be in the argument for being a top five quarterback. That's what you need. That you, you can't luck into being the Cleveland Browns, who paid Deshaun Watson. He has wildly underperformed his contract, and you find Joe Flacco on his sofa, and he's playing like Joe Fa- Flacco 2012. You cannot get that lucky on a regular basis. And this Browns team is going to fall apart because of that Deshaun Watson contract. They are still early in this with massive guaranteed money left to him. That will cause a problem for that team. It's too big of an issue not to. They can get through it this year, but Watson's going to be their quarterback next year. Joe Flacco be damned. And if he continues to play like crap, they're going to have problems. So you need Justin Fields to get paid and outperform his contract. And if you're not sure he can be that guy, then you move on. It's it's pretty much that simple. And I like Justin Fields. And I'm guessing a lot of you think I, I'm lying. I really like Justin Fields. I think he's awesome. He's a great guy. He's a great leader. He's fun. And there is a big part of me that wants him to stay on this team. But because of the situation that Ryan Poles has created with this number one pick, you got to move on. And to me, that's it. And we keep comparing Caleb Williams to Justin Fields or Drake May to Justin Fields, but it goes beyond that. And like you hear people, well, it's not just that. It's Justin Fields in the hall against Caleb Williams. Well, yeah, but no one else is, when you talk about that, they're not including the salary and the fact that Tremaine Edmonds would get released in a couple of years. And Montez Sweat, you know, maybe he's the 30-31 and he's not worth keeping anymore, but Montez Sweat would be gone. And then Maybe you can't pay Jervon Dexter. Maybe he becomes a big guy because you paid Justin Fields and you can't afford Jervon Dexter. You have issues. You bleed talent. And that's what people are not talking about enough. They just assume that they can punt Justin Fields' money down or that Justin Fields will take a team-friendly deal. Justin Fields' agent does not do that. He is like Scott Boris. He wants giant contracts for his guys. He wants them to take every penny. There is no home team discount. That's how this is going to work. So do not think that's the case. Now, I want to finish this podcast with some questions. So we're going to take a break. Bears banter. We'll be right back with your questions off Twitter right after this. All right. Welcome back into the podcast. Let's dive in. Let's do some questions. Let's start with Jonathan Wood. Let's keep this away from the QB head coach debate. That's all anybody, including me, can talk about right now. I don't know what you're talking about, Jonathan. We only talked about it for the last half an hour. What upcoming free agent are you most hoping the Bears add this offseason? Now, there are positions of need more than this, like center, like wide receiver two. But for me, the free agent acquisition I want, I've talked about it on this podcast, is Chris Jones. I don't know if they're going to commit that much money to the defensive line after they paid sweat. But if you're going to move on from Fields, you can get both those contracts on there. I've said three years, $100 million. That's what I would offer Chris Jones, guarantee $70 million, whatever it is, and say, come to Chicago, get your bag, and let's see if you can transform this defense. You, this defense is top 10. Chris Jones, you can make it top three. And while Javon Dexter is keeps getting better, I don't know if Javon Dexter is the three-tech monster that you need. 
I don't know if he's Chris Jones. I don't know if he's Christian Wilkins, also a free agent I wouldn't be opposed to going after. I don't know if he's Jeffrey Simmons, right? I don't know if he's that guy, if he's that good. And you need an interior disruptor. They don't have that yet. I mean, Billings and Dexter, it's pretty good and it's working. But if you had a monster in there, and then, you know, Demarcus Walker, I'd get a pass rushing third down specialist to pair with Chris Jones. And then what I'm doing is I'm having Sweat, Billings, Jones, and Dexter, Jones, Billing, Dexter in the middle. Demarcus Walker is my other edge. And then on third downs, I'm bumping Demarcus Walker inside with Chris Jones, and I'm putting my pass rushing specialist out there. That's what I'm doing for the Chicago Bears defensive line. So Chris Jones is the guy, you know, he's got a connection to Ryan Poles in Kansas City. He wants a bag. I don't think he's going to get franchise tagged again. I have a feeling that was an under-the-table agreement that that wouldn't happen. So to me, it's Chris Jones. But while we're talking free agents, Chris Armstrong, are there any pending free agent centers that you'd like to see on the team this season? So the big guy for me was Connor Williams from the Dolphins. I thought he was perfect for this Chicago Bears team, but torn ACL, torn late in the season. I don't know how much he's going to be ready at the start of the year, so that's out for me. So the top guy there is probably Lloyd Cushenberry. That's probably the guy to target at center right now if you're going to target a center. And I think they should. I want a veteran center on this team. I don't want to wait till the draft where you got to try and grab someone in round three. I want them to get a veteran center that I know can start. Not a Lucas Patrick who's going to get an opportunity from a backup to start. Give me a quality center, pay him $12 million a year, whatever you need to do, and get him here. Before the draft, lock in your starting five, right? You got Tevin Jenkins, you got Darnell Wright, Nate Davis, Braxton Jones, and your free agent center. Lock in that starting five so we can all start feeling good about it. So that's the probably the best name to target since Connor Williams you have to kind of take off the list right now. Uh, JT says, what do you think polls should do and will do at quarterback? Is the Green game, Green Bay game a closing argument if Fields gets badly outplayed by Love? Can't see him back. JT, again, I don't think the Green Bay game should matter. I think the idea of basing three years of evaluation or two years, you want to throw out the Nagy year, two years of evaluation, or if you even want to throw out last season, a full year evaluation comes down to one game at the end of the season. I don't care if it's the Packers. That to me is a bad process. So I don't think the Packers game has any impact or it shouldn't have any impact. You know it impacts George McCaskey. I'm hoping Ryan Poles is grounded and is not going to be swayed if he has a big game against the Packers or a bad game against the Packers, whatever he wants to do with fields should not be impacted that much by one game. All right, John says, if you were polls and wanted to invest more time in fields growth but are concerned with the amount for a contract extension or the cost of a fifth-year option, what would a fair extension look like? Now, a fair extension for Justin Fields at his level of performance, I think is like 30 million a year. I think 4120 is fair. I don't think Justin Fields would ever accept that, and I wouldn't expect him to, nor would I think he should for his own personal gain. 
I think Justin Fields is going to have to be paid. Again, Daniel Jones got $40 million a year. So that's your that's your ground floor. There is no way an agent's going to say that Daniel Jones should be making more money per season than Justin Fields. And maybe the Bears are cursing out the, the Giants every day because of that. But regardless, that happened. That's your floor. And you want to sit there and be like, well, this guy's making $55 million a year and he's not as good. Okay. So now you got this window, $40 million to $55 million. And you got to find a spot for Justin Fields in there. And I think $50 million is the ceiling, and I think $45 million is the floor. And that's what I think you have to pay Justin Fields. I have said four years, $180 million, I think is the number to get Justin Fields back in Chicago on an extension. And if you're not comfortable with four one eighty dollars as a Justin Fields fan, then you aren't a Justin Fields fan. All right, let's do this one. Is a potential Justin contract extension, which doesn't have to be decided now, a huge issue when you factor in the rest of the roster being loaded with young, talented players on rookie deals? Yes! Yes, it is, because that's your money. You sign Justin Fields, that's it, and then you start bleeding talent. We talked about this. You cannot undersell the importance of that contract. It is a huge, huge difference. You're talking about $35 million difference or more, $40 million difference between what Caleb Williams or Drake May would make versus what Justin Fields would be making in a couple of years. You're talking about two giant free agents or re-signing guys at $20 million or so a year or four starters at $10 million a year that you can have on your roster if you have the rookie salary versus Justin Fields. You cannot, cannot, cannot undersell it. J.D. Brown, if the Bears retain Eberflus but decide to move on from Luke Getze, who would you look to bring in as an OC? That is a tough call because you don't know right now everyone who's available. Kellen Moore, I have said, it feels like a Bears hire to me if this is the situation. A guy who's had success in Dallas, you know, just coached Justin Herbert. I could see that being a Bears hire. I don't like that. I think Kellen Moore is, is kind of a blah name to me. You know, you have an opportunity. You could try and get a hotshot guy off a McVay tree or a Shanahan tree, a quarterback coach like you did with Luke Getze, but he's not going to have experience play calling. You can't poach another OC if he's currently employed. Eric Bieniemy will probably be unemployed. Is Eric Bieniemy a guy, assuming he doesn't get a head coaching job, which he never seems to do. Is Eric Bieniemy? he rubs the guy, people the wrong way, but he does have some success. He got a lot of yards out of Sam Howell this year. Is Eric Bieniemy a guy you want? Liam Cohen. It's a name I hear a lot. Offensive coordinator for Kentucky, but he came from the Sean McVay tree. Is that a guy you want to go from a, a college ranks and try and give him a shot in the NFL? It's another guy you can do. So offensive coordinator is a little tricky right now. Do you want a guy, you know, if you're going to be developing a rookie, you want to make sure you have the right guy to do that. But, you know, you can pick a Bobby Slowick who doesn't have a lot of experience and then just meshes with C.J. Stroud and is awesome. But you got to pick the right guy. It is a tricky, tricky thing to do. Dave Madsen, do you think Nate Davis is a starter in 2024 or will Poles bring in flat, fresh blood? Also, what do you think of the probability of Poles double dipping on offensive weapons in the first round? He says two wide receivers and a wide receiver and a tight end. Again, Dave, this is based on the fact that I think there will be a quarterback. So in terms of double dipping on offense, I think that will happen. I think there will be a quarterback and a wide receiver selected.
if they kept Justin Fields, I don't see that happening. I see most likely if they keep Justin Fields, they will take a wide receiver, the best one available to them, wherever their first pick is. So you got to figure that's either going to be Harrison, Neighbors, or Adunze. And then with that other pick, I think they trade down seven, eight spots, get more picks, and pick a defensive player, uh, Newton or an edge, something like that. So that's what I would expect. And as for Nate Davis, yes, I think Nate Davis will be a starter. It was a tough year to evaluate Nate Davis on. His mother died right at the start of the season. That's He's not an old man. You know, I, I lost my mother when I was 40, and it messed with my head. Nate Davis lost his mother when he's, what, 26? That's brutal. And I'm sure some people have lost a mother at a very young age. That, that messes with your head, man. Uh, and from everything I read about her, she was a really good woman, strong woman, big, big important part of that family. So that's tough. Nate Davis dealt with that, came back. He was playing pretty well. High ankle sprain. Tough for a big guy to come back from. And he has not played well since the high ankle sprain. So Nate Davis, my approach, I've said this before, Nate Davis needs to be the starter next year, veteran center, free agent, starter next year. Then in like the third, fourth round, he needs to take an interior offensive lineman with that can play guard and center to back up those positions. And then what you've got is you've got a guy that you can expect to potentially start and you know, back up those positions in 2024, have that guy potentially start in 2025, either replacing Tevin Jenkins or Nate Davis, or potentially maybe the center doesn't work out, whatever it might be. It gives you some flexibility. Jermaine Jones, if they trade the pick, what vet would you want from one of the top five teams, an edge or a center, maybe a wide receiver too? So, so this, again, I don't know how much you're going to be able to get trading down from number four. And for each team, it's different. And you don't know if those players are being willing to be parted with but if I was Ryan Poles, how I would address this is I'm not committing to Caleb Williams. I'll just say it's Caleb Williams out of the gate and saying Justin Fields is not my quarterback. I would say we're weighing all our options. So if the Arizona Cardinals, you know, whoever it might be, Washington, if they want to call up Washington's the best, best bet here, Washington calls up and says, we want to move up to one to take Caleb Williams. You say, well, what are you willing to give me? And Washington may be like, our first round pick next year. Say, so, well, that's not enough. I don't want to drop from one to four if that's what Washington ends up being and, and have a first round pick or one to three. That's not enough. I want Terry McLaurin too, or I want Deron Payne, or I want Jonathan Allen. Well, that's ridiculous, says Washington, hangs up the phone. Okay, then you draft Caleb Williams. But maybe you could tell Washington, we want your first round pick next year. We want Terry McLaurin. And we want your second round pick this year. And Washington goes, well, that's ridiculous. And Ryan Poles goes, well, that's the that's the price. If you want to drop, you know, if you want Caleb Williams, you want us to keep Justin Fields, that's the price. Let us know. Hang up the phone. Play hardball. Because you got all the chips, Ryan Poles. You got all the chips. Matt Brown, what does a JJ extension look like after his improvement of play? Matt, I do not think JJ, uh, Jalen Johnson's getting an extension. I'd like him to get an extension. I don't think right now Ryan Poles sees him at the level he's playing at. I disagree with that assessment, but Ryan Poles has gambled on this one and lost. And that's okay. You're gonna gamble on your own players. You know, whatever Jalen Johnson wanted in the summer, Ryan Poles didn't wanna pay it. 
So then Jalen Johnson started playing and played really well. So they looked again at the trade deadline. And I'm sure Jalen Johnson's number went up a million or two. And Ryan Poles didn't want to pay it. So now Jalen Johnson is here. And he's completed this season and continued to play well. Now Jalen Johnson probably wants more money. So what do I think is a fair offer? If you told me what could get Jalen Johnson done tomorrow, I'm going to say five years and 90 million, maybe 95 million. I don't think you need to give him 100. I don't think you need to give him 20 million a year. But I think you probably would have gotten him for about 15 or 16 million a year had you signed him in August. But I'm guessing Ryan Poles only wanted to pay him 11 or 12. Now I'm guessing Ryan Poles is willing to pay him that 15 or 16 million. But Jalen Johnson will go want 19 or 20 million. So now you sit there and go, what are we going to do? Franchise tag, I think, will be around 18 million next year. That's what I think is going to happen with Jalen Johnson. Uh, Conrad Jarrett, aside from QB, the never-ending QB1 question, would signing a free agent Chase Young be of interest? I think strengthening the D-line is imperative, but how much cash will you allocate? Now, again, you have Caleb Williams. You can allocate more money on the defense and let it shake out in a couple years. You have that ability. So to me, again, Chase Young, not interested. Knee hasn't been incredible. Montez Sweat was definitely the better job there. Well done, Ryan Poles. No, Chris Jones. That's the guy to me. And if I can't get Chris Jones and Christian Wilkins is not franchise tag, that's the guy. Give me an interior disruptor. I think that's more important. Uh, Dave Angelico, do you envision Cunningham getting poached this offseason to lead another front office. I think that's a very strong possibility. He's been interviewed before. And again, if he gets a new job, the Bears will have two end-of-the-third-round picks for Ian Cunningham, one this year and one next year. So that would be a big ad. Now, again, Ian Cunningham seems to be an important guy in the front office. It will be a loss for the Chicago Bears, but those, those draft picks will definitely help. And finally, Cav Manning, do you think it's wishful thinking that Poles will take the fans and how much the locker room loves Fields into account to keep him? Make Pats and Washington bid one, get Harrison third at worst. Now, brought that up. Let's talk about that for a brief second. Does Ryan Poles care what the fans think about Justin Fields? Not really. I don't think he really does. Now, does he care about what the fans think in terms of how he approaches the situation, yes, 100%. That matters. That 100% matters. He's not going to trade Justin Fields, get in there and be like, I know what I'm doing. Screw all of you. Go be Falcons fans if you want to love Justin Fields. That's not how he's going to approach it. It's going to be handled with kid gloves with how that is approached to the fan base to try. Fans are going to be pissed, but you want to make sure the fans get over it. The locker room is a lot different. That's where the human element comes in a lot more and how much they love Justin Fields. That will matter. And will it sway his opinion? Probably not. But that is something where he will, he will talk to DJ Moore individually. He will talk to a lot of these players, the leaders of the locker room, be like, we did not want to do this, but we have an opportunity to get a quarterback we, will th we think will be as good or better than him. And we can keep Jalen Johnson now, and we can keep Tevin Jenkins now, and we can continue to pay this team and keep this core together. That if we had to pay Justin, we were going to have to break it up. There's not enough money to go around everyone. So that's how I would sell it to Ryan Poles to the locker room. 
is we're doing this to try and keep this core together as much as possible. Losing Justin hurts. It's crushing. It bothers everyone. But we're trying to do what's best for the team, as hard as it might be. And yeah, fan uh, players are going to be pissed. They'll have all offseason to get over it. And hopefully Caleb Williams, you know, or Drake May or whoever, if that if they end up moving on from fields, really, you know, ingratiates himself to the locker room and becomes popular. Caleb Williams, from what I understand, is not this jackass that a lot of Chicago fans are trying to make him out to be. Oh, he paints his nails and all things. He's cocky. He's a little arrogant, but that's okay. Joe Burrow is cocky and arrogant. Patrick Mahomes is cocky and arrogant. That's okay. You kind of, you know, Michael Jordan was the cockiest, most arrogant guy in, on the planet. You want that, you know, for greatness. So I, I don't think, I, you know, from what I have heard, Caleb Williams is not a bad teammate. He is getting, that is a raw deal that a lot of people are trying to pin on him. Does Caleb Williams like being a 21-year-old with NIL money coming out of his ears and can buy nice cars? Hell yeah, he does. And he's taking advantage of that, as are a lot of other players as would Justin Fields if he had NIL money back when he was in college. That's just the nature of the beast. So I don't think Caleb Williams is the teammate issue that a lot of people are trying to make him out to be. But is he going to be as good of a teammate as Justin Fields? No, because I think Justin Fields is a phenomenal teammate. So yes, that is going to come into play. That is a tricky situation and one that I'm just going to say, I know the Chicago Bears have been talking about if they move on from Justin Fields, how they would do it to the fans and most importantly, the locker room. They have been talking about that for months. Now, wrap it up. Green Bay Packers. The Bears are a better team, I think, than the Packers right now, but because it's in Lambeau and because it's the Packers and until the Bears start beating this team, I think the Green Bay Packers win this one. I think it's within one score. Let's call it... 24 to 20. The Green Bay Packers are victorious. We will be back next week. We will talk about what's going on with Matt Eberflus, what's going on with Luke Getze. We should have some answers. We will know. Ryan Poles will talk. Kevin Warren will talk. The Packers result will be in. We will have a lot to dissect next week. I can't believe I've been talking for an hour and 10 minutes with no guests. I told you, you'd be sick of hearing my voice at the end of this podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Bear down, everybody. Adios.